And welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. This is the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am the publisher of said newsletter, the host of this, pod, uh, this podcast, Matt Brown. Great to be here. I'm joined, uh, as almost always, by Brian Fisher. How are you holding up, man? I'm doing well. Still recovering from that uh, crazy Super Bowl, but uh, just well, so uh, it was, easy, it, right? It was fun. I don't really watch a whole lot of NFL, um, and I haven't really been a Bengals fan in, for, I don't know, 15 years, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. The halftime show alone was, was certainly worth it, even if you're not a huge Bengals or Rams fan. Can we, can we just very, very quickly, I want, I want to talk about that because that was surreal. I, this is what it must feel like to be a boomer. Like the, the entire <laughs> broadcast event was like specifically targeted to somebody who's like 33 to 38. Um, all the way up through the Lindsay Lohan and Austin Powers commercials, the Sopranos callbacks, the, the entire thing. Is this what the next 30 years are going to be like for us as consumers of popular entertainment? Uh, perhaps so. I, I, I don't mind it. I guess it's uh, it's definitely a new feeling. And, and, and it feels like it was nostalgia kind of throughout not just the halftime show, but some of the commercials, too. You know, they were sure, just yeah. pulling on a few of our heartstrings uh, if you were in a, a certain age bracket, which I, I certainly welcome. I don't I don't need to be have flashbacks to like the olden days of the, the 60s or anything like that. If we can move that forward just a little bit. Yeah. Definitely appreciate it, but um, it, it was it was a great halftime show, and you know it's funny because like uh, I, I've I've been to Super Bowls before actually when when the Rams played the Patriots back in in uh, 02, uh which had the YouTube U two and it was the the nine uh, eleven tribute show and, and that was a fantastic one it was actually at the Janet Jackson uh, were you oh were you really <laughs> great infamous Super Bowl as well on, on yeah. that one but uh, I wish I, I wish I could have been at SoFi for this one because I, I was just rocking along at home and uh, my my youngest my my daughter was just kind of like what what are you doing dad Stop yeah, that, that was the same reaction i think from for my kids and, that, and that's fine i um it, it's funny I, I actually used to use some of those songs to put them to sleep when they were babies and they, they <laughs> the, the, the bass like worked like california love like literally helped put penelope to sleep when she was a baby but now they're like i, I don't really see the appeal this is kind of boring whatever it's not built for you when 30 years when you watch the super bowl everything maybe they'll maybe they'll play baby shark or something and yeah. they'll, they'll cater cater to those needs but it was, it was fun. Maybe maybe next time the Bengals will win. Um, speaking of teams in orange, football teams in orange, uh, you see how I did that? Um, hey, segue. Say, segue, right? Uh, to, to the, one of the big stories that's come out here today, we're recording this here on uh, Tuesday afternoon, was our friend David Evans, uh, David Evans, I think, really insightful story for The Athletic about a massive uh, NIL collective at Tennessee. And that, I think, has really driven a lot of the conversation today, about not just in SEC circles, but everywhere in college athletics. Because um, you've pro- your favorite school, if you're in the Power Five, probably either has some sort of NIL collective entity now or is working on doing something right now. And, and, and they're all a little bit different, but generally that is a vehicle where uh, you give money you being a business or a very independently wealthy person or somebody like us. And that money is then allocated to a particular athlete rather than businesses and everybody trying to do deals on a, on a one-off, right? Miami's got one of these, Florida's got one of these, Indiana has one of these, um, but they are, they vary. And it seems like the one at Tennessee is kind of a capital B big deal, right? 
It, it does. And and what's fascinating to me is just kind of seeing the evolution of everything since July 1st and, and everything kind of went live. You know, obviously there's a ton of companies that kind of exploded onto the scene. Your, your influencers, your open doors were already already in existence, but but really have taken on a kind of new level um, in the NIL era. And then there's these collectives, you know, like we've been mentioning. And uh, the, the one, the story that, that David wrote about the, the Tennessee one, I think uh, a bit eyebrow raising f- for a lot of folks, not just in terms of you're hearing 25 to $30 million being thrown around uh, by people who are actually raising that money, not just Jimbo Fisher going off at, at a signing day press conference. But I, I think the talking with recruits, uh, a lot of the kind of minor details that came out of his story were um, you know, a bit surprising to some folks. And, uh, you know, there, there are going to be a few few others out there, a few schools that are being like, wait, wait a minute. Why aren't we doing this? And, and it's, it's truthfully going to be a bit of an arms race, as, as I'm sure we'll get into with David here. Yeah, I, 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 to, to better provide some context uh, about what's, what's happening here. Let's actually, let's, let's bring David on. Uh, he's going to be able to explain what's happening at Tennessee and this kind of entity a little bit better than maybe you and I can. So let's, uh, why don't we go pivot to him real quick? Dave, th- thanks so much here for, for taking uh, a, co- a couple of minutes here to, to chat with us about this, about this big story. Um, why, why, don't, why don't we start, we'll start with this? Uh, can you tell us maybe how the collective experience here at Tennessee is different from maybe some of the similar organizations that you've seen pop up in other markets or with other programs? Because there's a lot of collectives out there, but it's pretty clear that they're not all created equally, right? Yeah, I think Tennessee has a head start for a couple reasons. One, uh, I, I think the group that I wrote about at the Athletic uh, Spire Sports, I think one of the biggest reasons why they're ahead of the game is these guys are, are former agents who have 10 years of experience in sports marketing. So when market value and they uh, leverage relationships with local businesses, they're not new to this. This is a new platform and it's a new uh, enterprise, but the business is pretty much the same. We have athletes, you have money, and you want them to you know have some of it, and then the deliverable is kind of, you know, TBD. Uh, so it's different, but it's still largely the same. Uh, and then additionally, these guys started this company, uh, I guess late 2020, kind of early 21, but you know, July 1st, they were very much ready. Um, they were, they were, they were ready for this. I think they, they kind of knew that it was going to be a recruiting, um, uh, a big player in recruiting, but maybe not to the level that it already is. Yeah. But at this point, one, understand that, which there's more than a few places that still don't understand that Two. They understand that, and they are already pretty well funded. I mean, they part of their time is is talking to recruits, but a lot of it right now is talking to donors and explaining to them much of what's explained in the piece, which is the stakes of this and how integral this is going to be in recruiting for years to come. And you know, we kind of get into it in the piece a little bit. People can argue whether they like it or don't like NIL, but the reality is, if you don't have resources and you don't take this seriously and embrace it. Recruiting is about to get hard for you, and if you don't write checks, you're about to start taking some L's, and it's going to start on the recruiting trail, and that's going to translate to the field in not very long. Let me let me talk about that specific point because p- part of what maybe I've been struggling with a little bit is trying to contextualize or better understand I- exactly how important this sort of thing is in re- in recruiting. And mm-hmm. when I, I read I read your story and I heard the folks at Spire saying like, you know, we got seven out of the nine guys that we wanted. And I think based on what you've reported, and, and Brian, please interrupt me if, if, if I'm full of crap here, but I think it's fair to say that like th- this Tennessee NIL operation with the, or this collective is better financed and better organized and has more subject matter expertise than many of the other ones out there. 
And that all being said, Tennessee signed a the 17th class in the country. They, they weren't anywhere even close to hitting the blue chip ratio. Um, I, I want to say in the you know the last year's class, they brought in like I don't even think they had a, had a top 100 kid. So I, I know that in, in the future it might be it might be might be better. But if we're to think that having a, a, a well-funded, well-organized NIL effort is critical, and then we look at Tennessee's most recent results, and it's not like they sucked last year. Should we should we draw any conclusions or anything? Is it, is it fair to say that like having the uh, a best a very a, almost best in class NIL operation isn't going to leapfrog you above Alabama? Like what 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 lessons should we take from this limited data set? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, you know they closed pretty strong. I think Tennessee was lagging a lot in recruiting last year for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, you didn't really have a, a coach that knew the area that well. Obviously, the sure. program was in rough shape. Uh, you don't have an offense that you can put on tape and show people. You hear mixed things about the impact of the investigation. They would, you know, you, you kind of hear that it was a problem, but then you'd ask, you know, recruits and coaches, and and they kind of were like, it's not really brought up. So, kind of whatever, but less than ideal circumstances. We can all agree on that. Um, sure. So, uh, I think you close pretty strong, but I I think what's that's sort of the big question is, can this be a competitive advantage? I think it can in the short term. I think ultimately what's going to happen more often is that you've got to be able to match whatever. And this the money's going to go up and up and up and up and up. And you know, if if Tennessee is offering you $15,000 more than Alabama, that might not do it because Alabama offers a lot of other above a lot of other things or you know, if you're a Texas kid uh and uh North Carolina State is offering you $30,000 more, but you can stay at home and maybe you're not the jewel of the class money, but you're going to play for A&M and you're going to stay home. You know, it can help you. I think the biggest thing that I've taken away from is if you're going to slow play this and you can't match and everybody's offering 50, 60, $70,000 more than you, you're going to fall behind. I, I I think you're going to see some upward mobility, but I think more often, and I don't know where you're going to see this, I think it's going to be at places where the passion maybe is not there and the money is not there or somebody is not helping that. If you don't have the resources to keep up, you're going to fall behind. I, I, I've i compared this to the first time that people had indoor facilities, and I've compared it to the forward pass in college football in that you, know, you can still probably be okay, uh, but eventually you're going to have to to keep up with the times. And there's going to be some people that see some upward mobility. I think SMU is a really good candidate of where they don't have a lot of the things that you, you need to build a big-time program, but you got some money, and you got people <laughs> who do care and have that's deep true. pockets, and that's a heck of a combo. And then, of course, you're in Dallas. You have access to talent. And, uh, you know, and I think, too, we talked mostly about recruiting, but this is a big transfer portal issue as well, where money might be a more important issue to guys. So to sure. circle back to your question, I don't think it's going to be a situation where all of a sudden overnight Tennessee is a national championship contender. I really don't think that. Um, I think some places are going to be able to see themselves bump up a little bit, but the reality is this is going to be the new thing in college sports. And within the end of the year, people are going to figure this out. Places that care are going to have an advantage. And if you don't care, you don't have enough people that can help finance this. You're in trouble. You just are because this is what recruiting is now. And if you don't understand that, you don't get it. You don't, fully grasp the stakes, it's going to be a problem for you. Interesting. Your story comes out after 
I don't know what you would want to kind of sum up the situation at Auburn as, but obviously there's been a lot of booster talk surrounding Auburn and kind of the conflicts between them. Do you anticipate maybe multiple of these collection collectives um, kind of running, running into each other or running afoul of what the coaches want to do in terms of recruiting guys? Maybe they this want is, to yeah. So it's already happening at Texas where they have three collectives and a baseball collective, right. <laughs> which I know the concept that doesn't of, sound like Texas. I know the concept of warring factions at Texas. Uh, it's foreign to all of us. It'll be an adjustment, <laughs> but uh, you know, ultimately, uh, yeah, I think the way that it's worked out for Spire has been pretty smooth because Tennessee's administration isn't throwing a fit when they go and meet with a donor and say, yeah. Hey, in a lot of cases, the donors are going to give to them in addition to what they give to Tennessee. I think this will be the case in a lot of places. Yeah. But in some places, it's going to be instead of. And how does the administration feel about that? Tennessee has sort of taken an approach that's sort of like a rising tide lifts all boats. They might not be crazy about it if they have a major donor that all of a sudden decides to take seven, eight figures and pull it out of the Tennessee fund and move it into Spire. Well, maybe that's a different conversation, but them talking to them and developing relationships and, and fundraising with the same people that they have to fundraise from, they are okay. With it. And I, I think the question is, you know, there's a hundred programs. You may not have that kind of alignment everywhere. I mean, you don't have to look far down the road to see this can go bad in some places, but, uh, combination of Tennessee having a forward-thinking uh, athletic department, a coach who has sort of embraced this in, in Josh Heupel and hasn't really put his foot in his mouth or, or been a, uh, a hurdle to this, and then a group that is pretty organized and has a good background and this space, it has worked well for them. Will it work that way forever? I don't know. I think everybody would love for it to, but – you know, not every place. I mean, goodness, Auburn has an. I'd like to hear Auburn's stories right now of what their situation is, oh, um, yeah, because they have a collective right now. And so, what does this look like? And then when the coach is out, you know, when he's getting, uh, when, when they're when they're tired of the coach, what does that look like? I mean, we had this really only turned in like October, November into kind of what it has become. That's like four months. Uh, that's not a real big data set. So again, yeah. as this grows. Sure, there's going to be issues, um, but the good news is folks like us talk and write about it. I don't have to deal with it. My livelihood is not tied to the success of any <laughs> particular program, and at this particular moment, uh, I am embracing very comfortable reality. I- let, let, me, let me ask you some, something else, and, and maybe it's not something that is possible to answer right now, but you, I, I feel pretty comfortable digging into financial disclosure spreadsheets and and thinking about what this looks like on the business side, but I'm, I am not as plugged in to the nuts and bolts of what football recruiting looks like at a program like Tennessee. I think all three of us know that prior to NIL, there was a compensation marketplace that existed. It might have been uh, under the table, and now we have a competition a compensation marketplace that exists above the table. To what extent do you think in the SEC or Tennessee or other major programs uh, has the under-the-table marketplace been replaced, or is that still also functioning largely the same as it always was, and now there's just a different supplemental market along with it? Well, there's no reason for the the under-the-table to exist at this point. You know, if somebody wants to give you money and you can, instead of risking your eligibility or whatever, if you can just say, hey, I'll come sign some stuff at your place, that's your deliverable, that's fine, and there's no reason for it. What's happening is... So now that it's legal and it's above the table and some guys, not all guys, but that number is going to be growing in this class, know their worth. 
and they know that they have leverage and the money that you used to have on the black market is uh, uh is growing exponentially in a hurry because there was risk involved in negotiating you leave hurt feelings or you leave someone at the altar they might blow the whistle on you. Well, now there's no whistle to blow. Mm. And people feel a lot more comfortable negotiating and conducting in, this is where I have a dramatic gasp, capitalism, which is a four-letter word in college sports for, for much of its history, um, but it's not anymore. And so that idea of, well, you know, I've learned that my market value, which is sort of how they have to carefully sort of say it because you're not allowed to induce the, some of the, the wording and the language and how you talk about it. You have to understand the rules and, and not trip up. It's very hard to get in trouble right now for this kind of stuff for the NCAA for a number of reasons. Um, yeah. But you might understand, well, my market value is, uh, you know, uh, an apartment and a car and $60,000 a year at one school. And maybe another school believes that your market value is uh, 80000 but it's a nicer car and a slightly nicer apartment. You might say, you think maybe my market value might be a little higher at that school that I really want to go to? And maybe it is, depending on how good you are. If you're a three-star punter, no, I think your market value might be what it is. But if you're a five-star quarterback, that, that ceiling is real high. Um, one thing that maybe hasn't been written about as much. And this, I, I, Brian and I have, have been talking about this and it comes out a little bit, I think here in your story is that many of these collectives have, I think, different reasons for existing. Some of mm -hmm. them are, are pitching themselves as fully philanthropic, uh, philanthropic uh, ventures and they're only, you know, facilitating charity. Some of them are setting up shop as straight up businesses where it's like, we're not just trying to get athletes deals. We want to get enough of a taste ourselves to make this a business. Um, do you think that this is a sustainable business model for anybody to actually not just receive an ROI from the NIL campaigns, but to, to make an actual living scaling, facilitating these kind of deals? Cause the, the, the margins are different at the college level than they are for pro agents. I think so, because when you're looking at the budgets, looking at what they may be at. So the way that Spire operates is 90% of the money goes to athletes and deals and all that stuff. And 10% goes to overhead, which is. Uh, a complicated word, but you know, right now when your budget is, you know, probably still into the seven figures, but you're very aggressively talking to donors and you're talking about 20, $25 million. Well, 10% of that is two and a half million dollars. I couldn't live off of that. I'm, I have very high standards for myself, Sure, but many people could. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think for sure, you know, it, it's, it's scalable. I mean, it depends on what you want to do. Yeah. The, the um, rest of us don't have that New York times money yet. Right. We, exactly. we, don't, we don't get to live in that. <laughs> that, that so that, so that slumming it, you know, but again, you know, a living wage. Absolutely. I mean, you still have to pay yeah. for events and, you know, travel and, and all those things that, that are, you know, business expenses, but yeah, I think it can be. I mean, especially – I haven't heard of a whole lot of businesses that can have $25 million annually coming in in cash, which is what their goal is. And some places are going to hit that number, some are not. But you can have that and then feel like it's not a, a scalable business. It feels pretty scalable and sustainable to me, barring some sort of guardrail from the NCAA, which I don't think is coming. It's interesting because a lot of folks, uh, you know, probably read your story and were a little surprised to see that the Spire folks were actually talking to recruits, you know, mm -hmm. separate from the university. I was surprised to hear. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. I think that was the when I was talking with some some compliance folks, they're like, they're they're doing what, you know? And it's like, 
it, it is a unique aspect of what not only what they're doing, but I think NIL in, in general is is that talking to recruits, right? Is that a way to potentially combat one-time transfer? Is it a way to potentially accelerate it? You hear coaches all the time talk about lamenting those those tampering uh, things before guys go into the, the portal. Is this maybe a way around that? Is, is this something that uh, schools can use to their advantage? Or is it uh, simply going to be the case that the, the player movement is going to continue to accelerate given those figures involved? I, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be tough to tell. I think it's too soon. I mean, ultimately – this gives you a tool in your tool belt that if a kid decides he wants to go and he's deciding to go in the transfer portal, a collective can say, well, what can we do to, to, to see if, if, if maybe he wants to change his mind and stay, you know, that's something that you can do. Whereas in the past, what we're talking about, what, nine months to a year (laughs) or the, where the one time free free transfer was there, you didn't really have anything. And you saw this movement. So maybe I think only thing, only thing that ultimately stops it is if you start making people employees and they're collecting checks from the actual university, because when that happens and you have some real say, um, and you know, a lot of the deals that we're seeing are multi-year deals, but nobody wants to sue a kid. If he decides to go in the transfer portal and leave, you know, you kind of just tear it up and and that's what it is. It's it's not going to help you in the future, if a kid decides to leave and you throw a tantrum and you're suing him for this or that, like, no, I, I don't think any collective, at least one that has a sense of what is going to happen beyond the next week uh, is going to uh, pursue anything like that. So I think it can help. I don't think it's going to be uh, much more than sort of a bandaid on a gunshot wound in some ways. You know that you, you bring up some another i think big question about all of this right like you know what happens when somebody leaves or when somebody doesn't fulfill the, the terms of, of maybe their their contracted agreement because i would imagine i would imagine i'm not accusing spire of this or, or anybody in particular but i imagine if you are a collective right now and you're trying to get the word out that um you know you've got things things are things are going well and this is this is a, a program that, that recruits should consider you would throw out big numbers and big numbers for the deals that recruits are getting right and uh, if you don't necessarily, if you know, the Spire doesn't have to submit compliance paperwork or anyone has to go actually double check that in, in 10, 11 months, um, maybe a figure that's presented now, which is really like, you know, spread out over four years or backloaded or something, uh, you know, changes a little bit. Like, but, but you don't, you think that the political repercussions of, you know, uh, taking back a deal or unwinding anything if someone doesn't pan out or, or someone leaves are, are so significant that, a collective probably wouldn't engage with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you have to kind of ask. I mean, uh, the deals that they have that are long term aren't contingent. You can't have, you know, uh, 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 deals that are contingent on, well, this guy's got to be a starter or this or that. So if they don't pan out, if they uh, suffer an injury, you know, that money is still payable. So there's some risk in that, uh, ultimately. I mean, we I know we've never seen a recruit not pan out in college football, but it could, in theory, happen in oh, the future. Especially uh, <laughs> one that got an NIA deal ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. That's not how it's happened yet. Uh, so, you know, uh, it, there's some element of risk in that. Um, but again, it, it's a little bit like giving a coach a big contract after he goes eight and five and another school tries to hire him. Well, everything's moving in the right direction, so it's never going to move in a different direction. Um, and so... Let's go all in and, and let's sure. you know give everyone money and, and we'll see what happens uh next side. So, you know, again, where this is still really in its infancy and um and and what this looks like in a year or five years or ten years, 
I mean, you look back at college sports, it's changed more in a year and a half than it has in all of our lifetimes. I think probably anyone who's existed right now is walking the earth's lifetime in the last year and a half. The sport has changed. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that that's going to change in the next year because what this, I mean, this morphed from mom and pop shops into, you know, what I refer to as a recruiting super weapon literally in like three months. And now you have places that are up and running and operational and have big plans. That didn't take long. Well, people care a lot about winning, and especially places that haven't done it and have tasted it in the past. Um, like right now, Alabama doesn't have a public collective that we know of. You know why that is? Because they've been doing okay, and they don't have a lot of people that are like, we got to change this. Well, who's been real active? Tennessee's been real active. Nebraska's been real active. Well, I think Florida. there's something to that. Yeah, Florida. Yeah. I think there's something to that. So, um, you know, we'll point. see what this looks like. That that's a great point. I mean, now Brian. I mean, like, if we're th- you're right. Thinking about the places that were, I think, first or most aggressive in this space, right? Miami, definitely in that conversation. Florida, USC. for sure. A real, U- we're fed USC. up. We're not going to take it anymore. Vibe from all those folks. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then, um, but I mean, you're right. When I think of like, I, I've said this numerous times. Ohio State has not been nearly as aggressive in here, and like that, the the, the new NIL adjustments that they announced like last week are not even in the same stratosphere as anything being talked about here. It's basically just giving Dobos access to open doors um, and, and they haven't had to do it, but you're right. Like it, it does seem that there's a correlation between we've been good before and we're not so good now. And we're willing to write some gigantic, gigantic checks. And there's like Indiana. Well, I guess Indiana basketball would be the yeah. of this, right? I need That's somebody just... to explain the Ohio State laws and the Ohio State bringing it in house. I don't fully understand how that all works. <laughs> well, I, I, I will I will send you a video we did for Connect that might explain that uh, a, a little better. That's Brian, the thing we, between yeah. the NCAA yeah. rule and the varying state laws. It's all just you know very hard to understand. Um, but the core of these collectives, I don't think, are put your money together. Help go get players and give them money when they come to your school. Yeah, that seems like a basic plan. Uh, it's just never been done like this before. Yeah, maybe, maybe you get an, uh, an autograph or a Zoom call or a newsletter or an NFT out of it. Maybe they yeah, shut we can show up to it. I mean, these events. Yeah. I think. I think you know that was one of the things that that Spire did that I think is really smart. You know, they hired a Washington D.C. political operative who helped fundraise. You know, in political and presidential campaigns dating back to the eighties. They had some of their D.C. connections back there, and some of it is, hey, if you're going to give small amounts of money, twenty bucks a month, what do you get? And that is access to some of these NIL events, and that's something that fans have never had. You know, you you have a five star freshman quarterback that shows up. You might not see or hear from him for a year, two years. Well, yeah. now you might he might sign enroll. You know, he might sign in December 19th, and by January 10th, you're shaking his hand at a meet the new players event that you got access to because you pay 20 bucks a month. If I'm a fan, that's a pretty good deal. I want to do that. I think there's gonna be a lot of people to do that. And you say 20 bucks a month. Well, if you have 500 people, that's not a lot of people. 500 people. That's a hundred thousand dollars a year, dude. You're describing our business model. <laughs> like, exactly. I did joke about yeah. this with the fire guys. I was like, you know, we kind of have the same business model. It's just you guys are selling something very different from what we're selling, but like it is still a subscription model, and that money piles up over time, especially as you grow and retain, um, you know, users and memberships. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is funny to think about it that way, right? If, if you treat this 
of these collectives as like a media company. Like, all right, you're going to assume three to 5% churn. Mm-hmm. And you have this kind of deliverable. Basically, we're just giving people the, the SEC version of the NPR tote bag. <laughs> Only, yeah. right? but, but it's with special musical guests, five-star power forward, right, Brian? Yeah, exactly. Again, you know, I was, I was talking about this earlier today on the Audible. Like, people are there's a lot of people i think the the opposition has twisted to uh, a lack of comfort with this and i think the way that i think of this big picture like globally i think people are so locked in with NCAA rules and this is wrong and this has always been you know punishable and you can't do but if you were setting up college sports fresh the old model is what would be crooked and evil. And the new model would make a lot more sense. And I think that when you talk about big time money, instead of going to pay for stadium upgrades or slides or barbershops or recording studios or $10,000 in the locker rooms, if some of that money gets redirected to kids who might not have that much money and might have a small window of time to maximize their value, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that's not a big picture societal good on top of college sports becoming less uh, uh, exploitative and more fair and equitable. And so you can complain and you can say, you know, I'm done with college sports and all this. We'll see you guys come September start. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and you might not like it, but I think you'd have to ask why, why, why do you have such a, this? I think that group is, is, is slowing, but they're out there and it doesn't really make sense. Why do you want to root for the buildings to have a fresh coat of paint and some new bricks and not a kid to have a nice apartment and a nice car and enjoy his experience on your campus a little yeah. bit better than he used to and get a, a free, get free tacos. Listen, yeah, free right? tacos like, is a tremendous, a tremendous uh, plus. I would uh, very much like that. Think of how many offensive linemen are being fed because of NIL right now. Yeah, legitimately. Yeah. It's a great move. We're getting better memes out of it. All of us remember what it was like <laughs> to live in a garbage apartment. Like I would, yeah. I've, I've, to, I've, I've told so many like suits about this. Like, look, man, you keep on talking about how the, no one's getting like transformational money out of this. When I was an undergrad at Ohio State, I, I did clinical trials to make money. I literally sold like my blood. I did. I tested a painkiller and let a surgeon at Ohio State like cut my arm and yeah. like put transformational money yeah. to a to a college administrator who's probably making close to seven figures or 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 at least in the well into the six figures. Transformational money to them and a kid who is on scholarship somewhere and just adds $20,000 a year to his budget. That's a lot of money. Dude, yeah. You don't have two, expenses. <laughs> when you don't, right? When you, two grand, $1,000 to a, a typical undergrad, like, man, that's three months rent. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, serious. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of money. Um, And it, it, it's funny that you, you kind of talk about this in the context of what would this all world look like if we reached, if we built up the system now, um, I, this is feedback I get a lot. I know we're kind of veering off for, for a second, but that's kind of what esports looks like right now, right? Which is kind of like what if college sports but built two years ago, where everyone's monetizing their Twitch streams, everyone's mm-hmm. competing for prize money independently, and a couple people have spent some big money on facilities, but you don't really need to drop six million bucks on on gamer stations. People are looking for other things out of that experience. You know, Mm -hmm. nobody outside of the Urban Meyer Jacksonville Jaguars was trying to recruit a professional athlete off facilities because because most people, that's not what's important to them. Exactly. Uh, And again, this is what goes into, you know, the biggest quotation marks in history of nonprofits. The facilities arms race was always stupid, but you got to spend that money on something. 
and the coaching salaries are out of control. Why? Because you have a free labor force. Well, again, you're going to have in the next year or two, a lot of hand-wringing from administrators who say this money is coming out of our fund and going to, to players. And again, tell me why that's a societal negative. It's bad for, for you know sports administrators' budgets. I'm sure it is, but they're going to be fine. And if you have to cut sports, well, that's because you have organized your budget in a terrible way. You don't cut sports. That is a red herring of all red herrings. And yeah. – uh, you know, it's gonna. It might be tough at smaller places, but you're not gonna be having a ton of funds diverted from smaller places. The big places, you might have to do some, some. Uh, we'll call it economic restructuring, but that's because you built a system that didn't make sense in the first place, and a system like that is not worth protecting. So, if they have to change and things, uh, you know, change a lot at college sports. Again, explain to me why it's not a societal good because the instant or college sports as it was, is not an enterprise worth protecting to, to go back to the way it was. It was not. If you did not think that the previous system was exploitative and problematic in a million different ways, you didn't pay enough attention. You weren't watching closely enough, and you just, you know, the simplest part is you don't know what you're talking about. You yeah, just uh, don't. we, we got to be honest here. Like Half the people listening to this show have .edu in their email addresses, and I think they would <laughs> and, and they would probably do yeah. that too. Like I, it's, yeah. This is something that is not – shocking when i talk to a deputy athletic director or or somebody that that's in this business right like it's mm-hmm. there's it's a, a small chunk of people um did you have anything else here brian i was just gonna say you know in in, in your lead you obviously that you throw out the figure or, or the spire guys do a, the 25 to 30 30 million dollars and obviously that's that's tennessee you're in the sec passionate fan base large passionate fan base with not a lot of competition there in knoxville and beyond if you're a group of five program if you're seeing this story well, if you're seeing you Godspeed to the Pac-12. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know that's another thing. Group of five of the Pac-12. Uh, if, outside if of USC and Oregon and maybe yeah. Washington, boys. Uh, uh, yeah, uh. <laughs> that's, that's that's my question. If you're Arizona, if you're Colorado, if you're even if you're going, I think everybody remembers Caleb William being offered a million dollars to go to Eastern Washington or mm-hmm. Eastern the, Michigan. Yeah, Eastern Michigan. There it was they, be, uh, the shift manager at the factory, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yes, Kelly Batch having fun right there. But if you're one of those smaller schools, if you're in the group of five or whatever, how how can you compete? Are you are you just kind of throwing your hands up in the air and saying, you know what, they are playing a different sport compared to we us? Had, I mean. I don't know that it's much more simple than it's already not going great for you in a lot of ways. And you had 130 years to try and fix it. And you were playing from behind constantly. You don't have the fans. You don't have the budget. Well, sometimes, you know, in the South, the lack of pro sports helped fuel a lot of this. Um, But, you know, you had time to try and build this and maybe you can salvage it. But, you know, some people like things more in other areas of the country than they do in other areas. And this is not, you know, there's not a, a CBA. There's not a league that's going to make sure that there's competitive balance. And you hear that complaint all the time. And I'm just like, anyone screaming about competitive balance, have you watched the playoff since its inception? Like, listen, yeah. the Pac-12 struggling on the football field uh, is, is not a new development. And it's not a development fueled by the transfer portal or NIL or any of these things. It's fueled because people don't care there as much. And we can joke about it just means more and all these things. And it is funny, but it's also true. It's just true. Go to a game, turn on the TV, the 3 p.m. kick at the Coliseum even, uh, or, you know, somewhere else in the Pac-12 and turn on, you know, Death Valley at 3 p.m. It looks different. 
it's, it's just it's, different. It, it's not the same sport. And 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 it means more both for good and for ill, right? Like <laughs> yes, there are some negatives to that. Yeah, nobody is poisoning trees in Corvallis, Oregon uh, over football games that they're more likely to do that over, you know, trying to stop some mega development or something. Yes. But but yeah, that's that is true and I mean anyone can go look at the 247 rankings and look at that and then try to make an argument about competitive balance. Or recruiting yeah. equity is ridiculous. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna kidnap half of Alabama's class and and spread out. You two go to Arizona State. You two go to Washington State. You two go to Colorado. You two go over to to Washington. That's just, that's just not what's happening. And I, I think you know people that want to complain again about competitive balance. There's nothing stopping these places. I mean, get money and get fans and do whatever that takes. And you know the road to doing what you want to do no one's stopping you there's no anything you know anything standing in your way other than your own circumstances and there are certainly some factors that make things easier for places in the south to build these programs and the powerhouses the michigans the penn states and ohio states and those kind of places and even the usc and oregon but there's not like there's artificial barriers it's just 100 years of history yeah so if i'm if i'm hearing you correctly you're basically just telling all these g5 places to stop being poor Kinda. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, you know, it's going to be tough. Uh, I, I think it'll be interesting to see which G5 places, you know, I, I think, I think SMU, I can't remember if we mentioned this on here. I think SMU has a real opportunity for some yeah. upward mobility. Um, I, I think they jump out to me, but even a lot of these places, if you have money and access to talent, maybe not in your budget fully, but you have some donors with some big pockets, you can, you know, you're not going to be competing with Alabama, but you can still win a whole bunch of ball games and you can have a successful program. What does that look like? It might look something different. Maybe you won't get into, uh, well, if these playoff expands, you could use that um, as a, as a group of five program and then, you know, see what happens when you get in there. So, uh, you know, uh, the money has been growing and, I don't know that the talent gap is going to grow because of this between P5 and G5, but I think it's going to be tougher for some smaller battles on the recruiting trail. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned smaller battles too, because a lot of the focus right now has been on football, right? It's, it's football, even men's basketball, obviously with the, with the mm-hmm. crossover that we've already seen. I was talking with somebody uh, last week about, you know, baseball and how some athletes at, uh, at Texas A&M were getting 10, 12 grand in NIL money. How much is that going to increase across the SEC in particular in terms of those Olympic sports? You know, are, are these collectives even thinking about that or are they, you know, saying, hey, we'll, we'll get to you when we get to you? Or is that going to be a big part of these things moving forward? It's, it's not just football players. It's basketball. It's swimming. It's et cetera, et cetera. Well, you can make a lot of money. Uh, smaller amounts of money make a big difference. You know, one of the things that they did for, for Tennessee's baseball program was for a lot of cases, they can only offer partial scholarships. And they went and asked, asked them, you know, what, what does it take for everybody to be on full scholarship? And they were like, well, $300,000 would, would pretty much do it for the roster. And now all of a sudden, you, you your entire team can sort of feel like they're on a, a full scholarship and you can supplement that on the back end. So they are thinking about this. They're The, the smaller sports are important to them. They want to maintain those relationships with coaches. I'm sure the collective will, will do that. But I think that when they do that, 
I think it can establish some goodwill with the athletic department from uh, on the whole when you are, for lack of a better term, kind of siphoning off their budget a little bit. If you're giving some of that back and helping the coaches who have a lot of power there, um, it can help uh, uh, maybe lessen some of that resentment. But when you talk about the, the Olympic sports and non-revenue sports, a lot less money goes a long way. Giving $300,000 to a college football program compared to a, uh, a college baseball program, it, it's night and day. I mean, I don't think it's an accident that, um, you know, that was something that BYU kind of pushed for, right? Not, yeah. not just with their with their walk-ons, but they, they set up some other deals for a lot of their women athletes for that, that same thing. If you're on partial scholarships, especially if you're in a place where that's not as expensive to live, that can become mm-hmm. a much bigger uh, re- recruiting inducement. Um, th- th- thanks so much for, for hopping on here. I know you've been super busy today to help explain this and, and provide some more context. We'll be sure to to drop in the the story and everything here in the show notes. Um, real quick, where, where can, uh, our readers and listeners continue to find you because Lord knows there's going to be something else interesting <laughs> about Tennessee, uh, in the near future. Yeah. I mean, Twitter, uh, I'm at just at David Ubben, U-B-B-E-N and, and at the, F- uh, doing stuff all over the place. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun and, and I'm sure we'll be having some more, uh, this won't be the last time I write about collectives. I really think it's going to be the defining factor and word that dominates, college sports in 2022 so get ready <laughs> all right thank, thank perfect thank you thank you very much my friend we really appreciate it thank you guys i appreciated that opportunity to be able to i i think shed some greater context on, on what's happening here i do want to un- unpack this a little bit more but before we get to that um since we spent the last 35 minutes talking about raising and spending a lot of money Let's quickly talk about our friends at Home Field Apparel, where you don't need a collective. You don't need to crowdsource to be able to afford uh, wonderful, unique, comfortable, collegiate licensed apparel. Um, Chances are it's going to be in everybody's price range. It's not really that expensive, um, especially if you use our promo code extra points on your first order, which will let you save 15 percent. You can get Tennessee stuff. And Tennessee has some pretty sweet vintage logos, right? With the dog. Great stuff with Smokey. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I don't really look good in orange. I mean, I don't really look good in anything. I'm definitely got a face built for podcasts. But that's I can be a tricky color, but the, the logos look awesome. Um, there's a bunch of great vintage logos. I see you are rocking the Slippery Rock today. Look at that. That's a rock and a fur coat. How cool is that? One of the yeah. best. I feel like, you know, whether it's Slippery Rock, we, we mentioned in Colorado School Mines uh, yesterday, I believe that's, that was last week was what you were wearing. Um, and they have so many just unique logos. And uh, added some more this weekend. Uh, the NC State NC State collection dropped as well. And I uh, was, was going through that with uh, with Finding Comb because there was a lot of uh, fascinating stuff with that. South Carolina was the week before. So it's just every yeah. week there's, there's new stuff there. And uh, if you're not dropping, you know, three figures on at least on, on your order. You're, you're doing it wrong because there is that much stuff that you really do want to wear. I, the NC state collection, a school that I have not attended and, and in fact have family ties to institutions that root against them. Uh, it was really hard for me not to buy stuff because there are so many shirts of the horny cartoon wolf, which I know that I'm not verbally selling it very well, but we'll go with the show. Don't you look at it here. It, it, and he's, the shirt's basically screaming, Awuga. It's it's awesome, especially when you kind of that with, uh, pair that with the campus uh, you know, creamer and ice cream. Uh, this week, uh, I've been trying to tease this as best I can over the last couple of weeks because I wasn't allowed to tell you earlier. This week's Illinois, uh, which I am absolutely going to get, even though I don't really have an emotional tie to that school, but I live in Illinois now. Um, 
and those are awesome colors and they have some awesome vintage iconography and I, I, I need that in my life, I'll be buying some Illinois stuff. They have a couple other big time Pac-12 college basketball oriented type institutions and you can use your Wikipedia brown hat to try to figure out what schools I'm talking about. There's going to be a new one every week. It's an exciting time to grab some stuff at Homefield Apparel, which you can do by going to homefieldapparel.com and use promo code extra points, all one word, to save 15% off your first order. You need to grab an extra point shirt. They, they got the, the, the Bagman guy up there and everything. You can get that. They're extremely comfortable. They're soft. Uh, you should come get some and help support this program and cool weirdo logo stuff which is, I think, a foundational ethos of what we're trying to build here. Um, I am not personally as completely convinced that collectives are going to be the most important or the biggest force in college athletics over the next, or at least even in like recruiting in the next two or three years. They, they might be. Uh, I'm, I'm working on a, a couple of other stories here too. But what's happening at Tennessee, I think, is unique and important because it is pretty clear that they brought in the professionals. It's one thing to bring in a couple of a bunch of dads to kind of move around money uh, for some mom and pop companies. That, that's great. When you're bringing in former congressmen and, and, and shaking down the people that can write $50,000 checks and a caliber of company or a size of company that might not otherwise be involved in this world, you're playing a different game. And I know of a couple other collectives that are trying to play this game and they're doing that because they've been sports agents for a long time. Not everybody's doing that. And I don't know 100% yet to what extent that's going to shape recruiting, but that is definitely a significant business change in how all of this works. Yeah, I mean, we've gone from, uh, you know, like you said, uh, you know, a couple of dads and uh, a couple of folks you know, surrounding the programs, too. This is this is getting serious real quick. And and I think that is the thing that scares some folks you know, out there in terms of where it could kind of go and, and, and go bad. But but also, I, I think also energizes a, a few folks in terms of, hey, w- we can make a difference, you know, whether we're fans of, of a big time program or a small time program. We can actually make a difference in terms of not only these these kids lives by, by giving them actual money uh, for, for for their name, image and likeness, but but also also for our program that we love and support. And uh, I think that has been the, the key change, I think, is, um, you know, all this is, is being done above the table. You know, it used to be Visa gift cards. It used to be literal bags of cash and, and uh, McDonald's envelopes, as uh, we've, we've seen uh, over the years. But uh, this is this is much more professionalized. And uh, I think it's, it's fascinating to see where it's going to go from here. Um, you know, who, who else gets creative in terms of these collectives, in terms of just NIL in general? The, the one thing I'll say is I... It's possible, and you, David would know better than I would, but it would surprise me if this completely removed the underground economy. Um, if somebody theoretically was to give me some cash in a bag, say from McDonald's, I wouldn't have to pay taxes on it. I wouldn't have to re- report that. Um, and if I do things above board, which is great, and maybe I'm more, I could be more comfortable negotiating that or anything, there's going to be a lot more paperwork that comes from this. And also more paperwork on the brand side as well. Um, we've talked about this a lot, and it's, it's something I think will continue both on, on Connect and in Extra Points. But also when you're donating money to a school, uh, if you give it for a building, that's a tax write-off. It's a business expense if it's an NIL donation, which could be a different deduction. But you're you're buying something different. No matter what you're doing, whenever you're donating anything, I don't know if you ever donated to a school or, or been involved in any of these conversations, though, you want to feel like you're being a part of something and that you're getting something beyond just your ego. And I can definitely see how participating in an NIL collective could make it easier to draw a straight line to a donor of this is what you are helping rather than 
giving something to even general scholarships or to whatever administrative goal a school is trying to do, right? Like, I mean, like I, I give money every year to Ohio State Newark, which is a, where, you know, a, a branch community college campus of Ohio State where I went for a little while when I was um, uh, in between schools. And like, I wouldn't want to do that if it was going to pay for parking. Like, I, I only do it because I know it's going to be paid for, you know, for like a minority student scholarship or something else, you know? Like, that's that's kind of how this is. And well, and I think the, the big thing we, we kind of mentioned there with David is for those baseball players that, that are not getting their, their full scholarship or, you know, you're on gymnastics or rowing or whatever. You know, this is a way where it can really help you through school. You know, it's, it's not just you know, $1,000 for books. It, you know, it could mean the difference between, uh, you know, your, your apartment and your apartment size and just having a better college experience. And I think that, you know, truthfully, when, when you talk with administrators, yes, there, there is some fear, but there's also some understanding that this, this can help those kids directly. And, and that's something that you know, might not have been possible above the table before. And so it'll be fascinating, again, to, to see how it evolves and, and see what schools take advantage, what schools, um, you know, kind of go hands off and, and what schools are, are diving right in because yeah. uh, that, that's all going to change, I think, over the next you know, coming months and, and years. You know, people are reacting right now. You know, the, there are some that are getting creative, but a lot of folks are still reacting to to what's going on. You know, Ohio State's a, a great example, right? They kind of kind of sat things out a, a little bit. But now they're they're forming their own NIL department. We've we've had an interview uh, on on Collegiate Sports Connect uh, about what they're doing in this space. You know, it took them a few months, but now they're getting organized. Now they're really focused on what they they want to do as a school, what they want to do as a university. And I think you're going to see more of that as we get get going here in the in the next couple of months. You are absolutely right. If nothing else, for good or for ill, this is a copycat industry, um, and and if people are always going to be looking over their shoulders, seeing what their their conference mates are doing. And trying to copy that, even if they don't know it works yet, because that, that's just kind of how this whole world operates. We will, of course, be talking a lot more about NIL and collectives and financial instruments and, and that schools and entities and businesses use to funnel money one way or another uh, on extra points. We will see that on the D1 ticker. We will see that across various video interviews on Collegiate Sports Connect. I'll try to drop in a couple of those there in the show notes. You can uh, you can follow those. Collegiate Sports Connect is free. D1 ticker is free. Extra points is, I mean, part of it's free. Everyone can subscribe for free. If you want to get the, the full dope, um, you have to get a paying subscription. But uh, if you are a student, that can be pretty, I mean, it's affordable anyway, but it's especially affordable if you're if you're a student. Um, you can find that, of course, at extrapointsmb.com. And you can find me on the internet, probably spending too much time uh, on Twitter at Matt Brown EP. Brian, where can people continue to find what you are doing? At Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R on Twitter is always the best place as well as, you know, sign up for the D1 ticker. A lot of our Collegiate Sports Connect videos are on there. Uh, you know, just, just had a conversation a few hours before this one uh, talking about crypto and, and college athletics and, and how it all kind of relates together. I uh, had, had a conversation last week with, with Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball talking about the season, yeah. you know, coming up uh, this uh, this Friday first pitch uh, with, with opening day, you know, right around the corner. Softball's already started. So uh, a lot of stuff around the college sports ecosystem going on right now and, and the d1 ticker is the best place to find it dude that, that that's a good point um we have a, a really fun show we're excited about on friday um we're going to record it on thursday because i'm going to phoenix to do a couple of extra points in d1 ticker i mean to connect stories uh in the phoenix area and one of those things is going to be going to a college baseball game which i have not done in a while uh i know it, it, i'm excited to go someplace where it's warm and there's some vitamin D, and it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a great experience. So everyone, so thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, we produce so much stuff, and we're happy to share it all the way with you. 
We'll see you in a couple of days. Thanks for listening.